while I get set up, turning your Bibles to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1, let us read and hear together the word of God. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are his son, our sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son in your, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which were by nature, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might, be, might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now, and to change my voice For I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are two are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to the Jerusalem which now is, and is in bondage with her children. 
But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he, was, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what, is set, what saith the scriptures? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. So as we approach Galatians chapter 4, we are reminded again of how important it is to regularly violate the chapter breaks. Because what Paul goes on to uh, in his argument here bears much to the previous chapter. It is a continuation of that section from chapter 3, 19 through 29, where Paul is answering the question, wherefore then serveth the law? The question being answered by this section really speaks to what we read in the very last verse of 29, which is, since Israel was taught the gospel and are heirs of the same promises as we are in the New Testament, both being of one church of God, why is it that the administration under the New Testament is so very different from that of the Old? Where is the discontinuity? So Paul sets forward an illustration of a child that's born into a large house with servants. Right? Though he is Lord of all, This is the heir. There will come a day where this heir has full possession of everything that the house has has to offer. Its lands, its estates, its possessions, everything go to the heir. And yet, while he is a child, while he is in his minority, he does not have the same authority in the house, nor does he have the same access to all the possessions and liberties of the house that he will one day have, right? We think the same way of our children today. When we have young children, there are certain things that the children just aren't allowed to touch. There are certain things that the children are not allowed to command in the house, right? You put up the china, you put away the nice things because those are liable to be broken because they are liable to be misused, And so God set the Old Testament saints in that administration of minority under tutors and governors, giving them more tactile and earthly-based figures to teach them higher spiritual truths. We see this from the Apostle Paul, for instance, when he says, uh, when God says, thou shalt not muzzle an ox while he treadeth the corn, doth God care for oxen? No, but for your sakes it is written. Why? So that we might learn that the laborer is worthy of his hire. Right? In the same way we teach our children through little examples, object lessons, higher spiritual truths. Don't play too close to the street. Thou shalt not kill. 
Don't climb on the couch and stand on the couch. Right? Things like that that we teach them in order to help them to understand greater concepts as they grow into their maturity. The same thing with regards to the ceremonial ordinances that were of the Old Testament. There's also another comparison to be made, and this, you can read this in Patrick Fairbairn's The Revelation of Law and Scripture, which talks about that the Old Testament system, with its, uh, with its ordinances and laws, particularly surrounding the ceremonial worship of God, the, the not wearing of mixed thread, or, or not uh, you know, mixing your, your cattle that you're attaching to the plow. Right? They're teaching them certain things, in that, but there's also the respect that there are a lot of uh, disciplinary measures in the Old Testament. There's a very strict set of guidelines and a very strict set of discipline uh, that is much like a child. Don't do this, you'll be cut off. Don't do this, you'll be cut off. Right? And it's not, in the New Testament, it's not characterized by that same type of childlike discipline while the church does have discipline it does have a way of addressing evildoers in its midst it is much more ministerial we speak the gospel to the heart and the spirit works with that heart to bring it along to greater gospel conformity right so um he talks about the fact that you too, or the, the Israelites, were under that kind of bondage. And having come then now, in the time when the Son of God has come, the Spirit of God being poured forth upon us, then we cry, Abba, Father. You are no more considered as servants in the house, being a son under age, but you have come into your liberty of majority. We see this list of greater privileges, if you uh, are so inclined, in Westminster Confession of Faith 20 uh, in paragraph 1 there. There are certain things that were liberties for, to both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, being of one church, having one salvation. And yet there are certain liberties that were inaccessible to the Old Testament saints, such as the freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law, greater boldness of access to the throne of grace and fuller communication of the free spirit of God, which are Westminster Divine's uh, list there. So now, having that argument set forward, the apostle then turns his attention to the Galatians. He said, at one point in time, you served them who were no gods. You were under bondage to sin. However, now... Having the gospel preached unto you, you are brought into that fully mature administration of the church where you have all of the liberties of Christ. Why then would you return to bondage? He compares their condition under sin with that legalistic tradition of the Second Temple Judaizers. It is, why would you trade such a liberty for such bondage? The apostle is showing here that they are less excusable for falling away from the truth of the gospel than when they originally walked in darkness. It is base ingratitude. It is a 
throwing off of your inheritance to say that I'm going to return back to my childlike ways. So the apostle draws a parallel between the adherence to the deformed Judaistic religion of the first century to the rudiments of idolatry. It is more than ingratitude. It is a return to bondage. And because it is a return to bondage, it is deadly. And that's why the apostle says it in, in verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So then the apostle in, from uh, verses 12 through 20 lifts up from his argument then to add a little bit of a beseeching, a, a plea to them, as it were. First he calls them brethren, because though the apostle was in great fear uh, when considering the road that they were on, he also recognizes that there's still opportunity for repentance. They haven't been excommunicated from the church they are still brethren he confronts them by saying that it's not the fact that he that he received any injury from them uh, going after these Judaizing teachers Uh, instead he looks back upon the way that they treated him when he was present Though he had the infirmities of the uh, infirmity of the flesh, they rejoiced in the gospel and received him as an angel of God, even as Christ, because he spoke to the truth to them. His desire then was to continue to plead for the truth of the gospel, to continue to shed forward that truth so that they would return back from the errant ways of the Judaizers. So the question is. Why are you treating me as an enemy when I tell you the truth? These Judaizers here are much like what we read about in 2 Corinthians uh, not too long ago. Those Judaizers who were coming in in order to gain notoriety and causing a wedge of division between the apostle and the church there in Corinth, seeking to replace him so that they themselves might aggrandize themselves, but also so that they could bring that church into their gospel, their religion. So the apostle then exhorts them, don't be zealous like these zealous Judaizers, right? Be zealous for a good thing. And what is that good thing that he's talking about? The gospel. So in the final section then, in in, uh, 21 through 31, we have an allegory that's pointed at the false teachers in Galatia. He employs this allegory in order to show the foolishness of those who seek to bind themselves under the yoke of the law as a covenant of works. Paul presents, by way of this analogy, two covenants. One being a covenant of works whereby we meritoriously earn our salvation, the other being the covenant of grace, the covenant of promise. And he likens this back to Ishmael and the circumstances around his birth and Isaac and the circumstances around his birth. First he says that there is one who was born of a bondwoman, 
Hagar. And that is likened unto Sinai, the Jerusalem that now is. The Jerusalem that is in the first century. Right? We're not talking about the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion, as we see over and over and over again, from its inception with Abraham, if we want to start there, or even all the way back to Adam, was a gospel of grace. Through Moses, through David, all the way until the time of Christ. It was the perversion of the second century Judea, uh, the Pharisees and, and rabbis that made it about works. Okay, so he says the Jerusalem that now is, is likened unto Sinai, or that bondwoman, Hagar. And why is it that, that bondwoman, right? Well, what happened with Abraham? He was given a promise that he should be heir of the world. And then what did he do? I know how I'm going to get this promise, right? I'm going to go ahead and bear an heir through Hagar, not through his wife, but through Hagar. Then he turns to the Lord a little bit later in uh, chapter 17 after God reiterates his promise to him and says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And what does God say? No. Not by your might, but by my spirit. To take another quotation. The gospel promise does not come about by our own abilities, our own achievements, our own working righteousness in us. It comes only through the grace of God as it's poured forth in the gospel of His blessed Son upon us. And so that's the difference between the bondwoman and the free, wo- uh, the, the free woman. The son born to a bondwoman and the son born according to promise. Yes, Isaac was born according to natural conception. However, it was not ordinary natural conception. It was something extraordinary that God did in allowing Sarah to bear in her old age. So then he likens that to what we have today. He, he quotes from, oh, let me see, I thought I had it here in my notes. I want to say it's Isaiah 52, but I can't recall. Um, He quotes from Isaiah to show that the gospel going to the Gentiles is not going to be by any travail of any man or any Gentile or anybody, but it is instead according to the free gospel of God. Then he goes and, and talks about the fact that what happened between Isaac and Ishmael later on. After Isaac was born and weaned, What did we see Ishmael doing? Making a mockery of him. And so what was the command? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. They shall not be heirs here. Well, they're saying the same thing here. What are the Jews who are the son of the bondwoman saying? Mocking. Persecuting. Afflicting the church. But they are ready to be cast out. And if the Galatians don't turn from this path that they're on, they'll be cast out too. Thus ends the reading of Galatians chapter 4.